All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard issue for all women. Hello there, Mickey here. For this week's Sunday Chops, we handed the reins over to journalist Hazel Davis. She got on the phone to Dr. Kat Arney to talk about Rebel Cell, Cancer, Evolution and the Science of Life, Kat's book about the big bug in the system of life and how we get cancer because we can't not get it. They also chat cancer and COVID-19 and what's happening there, learning cancer secrets, Tasmanian devils, Maud Sly and thousands and thousands and thousands of mice. A heads up that Hazel clearly has ants in her pants and is a bit of a wriggler, which is the background noise you'll occasionally hear. Hopefully, it won't distract you from the fascinating facts Kat is throwing out. Over to Hazel and Kat. My name's Hazel Davis. I'm talking to Dr Kat Arney, author of Rebel Cell, Cancer Evolution and the Science of Life. She's also host of the brilliant Genetics Unzipped podcast for the Genetics Society and fronts loads of BBC Radio 4 science documentaries. So, hi, Dr. Arnie. Hello, you can call me Cat. Please call me Cat. Can I? How exciting. (laughs) I like to show deference. You know, there's no other way to go into this. Cancer's a bastard and COVID's a bastard and the two are combining with presumably horrific results. It's not a good time to have a cancer diagnosis or treatment. How badly are cancer patients being affected by the pandemic? It's incredibly worrying. Here in the UK, we're starting to look at the data that's coming out and you can see that there has been a really big drop in the number of people getting tested for cancer, getting uh, new diagnoses of cancer during the time. And you'd be like, yay, does that mean cancer's gone away? (laughs) No, it doesn't. I think this was some research done by people at UCL and they figured that 
it's potentially tens of thousands of people maybe losing their lives this year as a result of delayed diagnosis or delayed treatment for cancer and it's incredibly concerning so we've got people who uh maybe weren't able to go and get symptoms checked out maybe were too worried at the time when things were very very bad to get stuff checked out they had their treatments delayed and i think there are going to be some quite bad knock-on effects and you add on to that the impact of the the crisis on things like the funding for cancer charities cancer services Mm. care and all this kind of stuff and it's it's not a great picture and now i'm just bringing out a book about it i don't think anyone really (laughs) wants to think about but it it. does it does feel like it's the last thing we're thinking about i mean it's it's the media general isn't it it feels like all everyone can think about is covid and we're not thinking about any other problems or diseases or health issues bar that really so that's it's quite so yeah great time to bring a book i know i just want to put a disclaimer on everything and say like other diseases are available you know there are still infectious (laughs) diseases you still need vaccinations for all these things you still need to get stuff checked out and try and get appointments at the risk of derailing this what what can people do if they want to get a cancer diagnosis just to do what they would have done before and and hope for the best really exactly i mean it's still if you have any worrying symptoms it's always the advice if something's not normal for you if something doesn't seem right you've got to go along and get along to your gp and now the doctor's surgeries are open you are able to get appointments i think there's going to be a very big backlog but you know certainly someone close to me is going and getting checked out and getting scans stuff is starting to move through and i think hopefully we won't see too much of an impact but there is potentially going to be quite a big one coming down the line and uh, and so yeah yeah. It's, yeah basically if something's not right always always the rule is get it checked out but obviously when when things were really difficult that wasn't always possible your book is is a kind of history of cancer and what we know about it and how we have come to treat it and that kind of thing and it's and it's really brilliant and it's um you know aimed precisely at people like me who don't really understand or haven't previously understood what cancer is can you give us a kind of uh, a run through of what what is cancer if you can do that in a handy soundbite just in a nutshell yeah so <laughs> that's an interesting question that actually I during writing the book I came to question myself because I spent 12 years working at Cancer Research UK and the science comms team and so we've got asked like well what is cancer a lot of the time and you'd sit down and you'd start typing the sentence that we all knew and it was cancer starts when a cell picks up mutations in its genes or sort of changes in its mm-hmm. genetic program and multiplies out of control And we just all sat and typed this. And I never really sat and thought, well, is this actually the full story? Is this really true? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I really wanted to dig into in the book is like, what exactly is cancer and where does it come from? And and like, when is something a cancer? Like, what is the difference Mm. from cells that have just gone a little bit sad or a little bit rogue to becoming (laughs) this disease that is aggressive and invading through the body? And so that sort of picture of like, oh, well, it's just cells that have gone wrong and are growing because they've got mutations, genetic changes. That's actually really overly simplistic. And I'm moving towards this idea that basically cancer cells, cancer is, it's a fundamental biological process. That's an important thing to know. It's not something that we've, you know, that has come visited upon us. It starts from within our own body when our cells Mm. go out of control. And, you know, it's, it's not something that comes from outside. But it's actually, it happens when cells cheat. They rebel against the rules of the society that they're in. And that's something I go into in quite a lot of detail, that, like, our cells in our bodies, and it's a nice way to think about yourself. 
you're a society of cells where all the cells are doing the jobs they're meant to do they're not making too much mess they're not taking more than they need they're they're making new cells where they're needed and old cells are dying when they're old and damaged and you know this is the society that keeps our bodies healthy and cancer cells arise as cheats and in fact when you start looking across all of life you see cheats arising in societies and and they cause problems for the societies that they're in and in the body that leads to cancer and and in other societies that leads to you know things like in bees you get sort of colony collapses due to cheating bees and that really helped me to embed this in the grand sweep of life i suppose like all almost all branches of the tree of life every animal you can think of probably gets cancer there's only a couple of notable exceptions and it goes back through deep deep time i just this week perfect timing for the book they found a 77 million year old dinosaur fossil with a tumor there's a 240 million year old fossilized turtle with a tumor in it and you know ancient human remains the more we look for signs of cancer the more we find it so this is just like this is an ancient disease that affects life it's it's not just a modern human disease Uh, although there are things we do that don't really help ourselves there's a kind of general perception that if we smoke if we drink if we don't lead healthy lifestyles then we're going to increase our chances of getting cancer and that's what makes it feel like it's a very modern thing that we've brought cancer upon ourselves by being modern humans so that that's not true then or partially true it's it's one of these things it's like it's complicated so there are definitely things that we can see in our lives that we do that increase the risk of cancer so the most obvious one is cigarette smoking you can just look at the rates of lung cancers and other types of cancer in people who smoke and people who don't smoke and they're much much higher in people who smoke so we know Mm. clearly smoking uh things like you know lots and lots of exposure to ultraviolet light lots of exposure to x-rays nasty chemicals all these kind of things they do damage our dna they add to that sort of fuel for cells to go rogue with because cancer cells do have genetic changes they are messed up inside Um, Mm -hmm. but what makes these kind of messed up cells we discovered that and this is something really blew my mind by a certain age you know by middle age so much of your cells are kind of genetically messed up they're all a bit sad but very very (laughs) few of them will ever go bad so you have to think well there's something else going on there's something that's actually keeping the society of our cells and our tissues running and that's where you want to think about well what does keep a body healthy we only think about what goes wrong when we get sick we don't think about what keeps us healthy what keeps all our cells in check and functioning together and what helps to sort of suppress these cheating cells and that may well be things like you know the boring stuff like exercise and eating healthily Mm -hmm. and and controlling inflammation in the body and getting enough sleep and all this kind of (laughs) stuff that we know keeps us healthy but we don't really know why so i think there's some very very interesting connections there yeah, you do say in the book that, that we focus too too long on uh, what what is cancer rather than what is not cancer. And I think that that's a really interesting thing. So what what, is, what are the things that aren't cancerous cells? Let's look more about non-cancerous cells rather than cancerous cells. Yeah, exactly. So this is work from the researchers at the Wellcome Sanger Institute. And they started looking at tiny, tiny, tiny patches of normal tissue. So normal skin, normal esophagus, the, the tube that connects your mouth to your stomach, um, normal uterus. the the womb the endometrium and like what looks like absolutely normal tissue no signs of cancer it's nothing's gone wrong with it nothing looks wrong with it it's just riddled with mutations this was wild and i think people don't appreciate 
that. We sort of knew it. Yes, of course, as we get older, our cells pick up mutations. But seeing the extent and finding that a lot of those changes, if we found them in a cancer, we would say that is the genetic change that's driving this cancer. Yeah. And we find it mm. in normal cells. And the researcher who did this work, I sort of went to see him and he peered into my face. And I, I'm in my 40s now, so, you know, things are going south. But he sort of peered <laughs> in my face and was like, your skin is a patchwork of mutation. And oh my God. Oh, no. <laughs> but amazingly, out of all of that, we're, we're all, you know, kind of mutated all over. But most of us oh. uh, will only get one or maybe two cancers in our entire lifetime. That's, that's oh. an incredibly narrow chance. Cancer is incredibly rare on an individual level, but it is incredibly common in the population. You know, one in two people at some point will get cancer in their lifetime. Personally, it's a rare event in terms of your cells, but it's a common event. It like at some point it does happen because that's a kind of fatalistic way of looking at it. That we're all going to get cancer at some point, or we'll pro- we've probably all got cancer anyway. So why bother treating it? That can kind of isn't there a, a sort of risk that we go down that route if we start thinking about it like this? And well, not a, not at all. Because I think that there's there's a few things if we really understand like what is cancer and when is cancer and how better to look for it we know that we can cure cancer if you find it early enough there's an old surgeon's Mm -hmm. mantra you know nothing heals like cold steel so once a tumor Mm -hmm. has started growing if you could detect it and if it is genuinely going to grow into an aggressive cancer and we don't really know the difference at the moment in many cases but you can remove Mm. it with surgery and that is gone the real problem is when cancer has spread through the body so we need to think there are some really exciting new approaches for treatment there but I think also the book really shouldn't be like a call to just oh just give up you know get the fags get the booze just like just give up on it because actually it shows that that prevention by keeping your tissues healthy and by controlling these cheating cells Mm. if we can understand how that works and we can push the development of cancer back another sort of 10-15 years because cancer development is a slow process takes years Mm for a sort of group of rogue cells to grow into a tumour. If we can push that back, you know, by the time that you would develop a cancer, you're like 95, then that starts to be a really, you know, a good innings for for now, certainly. And it's really pushing away the risk of cancer that starts really rising in your 60s and 70s, because that's that's Mm. when your risk of cancer does start rising. And, you know, in our modern lives, that's getting into the prime of life, you know. Kids are out, you're starting to retire, go and enjoy yourself. So I think trying to push that that boundary of when our cells do sort of uh, start to get knackered, I think that could be, that really could be helpful. So it's not a call to just give up, don't bother treating anything. It's a call to think more cleverly about what we're actually up against. talk about the the sort of main intellectual breakthroughs in cancer treatment and particularly because this is standard issue and we love women we're particularly interested in Maud Sly tell me tell me about her and her big ideas or idea ideas because she was really cool. Maud Sly was a very very interesting woman and she was a researcher she was uh, living in sort of the early part of the 20th century in Chicago and she was one of the first people to really get interested in the question about how heritable is cancer? So cancer does seem to run in families. 
and mm-hmm. we now know that in certain families there are genetic changes that could be passed down the generations that increase the chances of certain types of cancer. So a really obvious one is the, the BRCA genes, the breast cancer genes, or the Angelina Jolie gene, if you mm-hmm. like. So we know that there are genetic changes that kind of set your cells further down the road to cancer. And Maud was one of the first people to really think about this, and she set about trying to prove this by breeding thousands and thousands of mice and this was at a time when women couldn't really get access to their own funding or their own lab she didn't have money for a technician she spent her whole time just dealing with thousands of mice herself um a a very lovely woman came to help her and Maud was like I can't pay you she was like oh it's fine I'm posh I have my own money I'll just help you because (laughs) this is interesting Uh, and she did start to show that cancers that arose in a family of mice they could be inherited So that was really interesting, but a lot of people ignored her. And at the same time, there were people, there was a researcher called Aldred Warthin who worked with a seamstress called Pauline Gross, another woman who's sort of overlooked in the history of cancer, who had many, many cancers in her family. And we now know that they were affected by a syndrome called Lynch syndrome, which increases the risk of, of bowel cancers and womb cancers due to a genetic change. But, you know, this being the kind of the 20s and 30s, People like Maud and people like Warthin, they were very into eugenics. And um, they were all like, well, if all these bad things are inherited, then let's just get rid of the families with the bad things. And and so the whole history of genetics is just just tinged with these people who took it all too far. And so I think a lot of that work about the patterns of heredity in cancers got overlooked for a long time. And also it was just quite hard to figure out. We didn't really know, like, what are genes and where are they and how do we find them? So to find these faulty mm. genes didn't really start happening until the, the 80s. And so now oh, you can okay. offer people genetic screening and testing and, and you mm-hmm. can sort of all sorts of preventative options for families. But, you know, that, that all started, I think, with, with Maud Sly and all her mice. And prior to that time, we just we thought cancer was catching, did we? We thought it was something that could be kind of passed on. Yeah, the, the views about what is cancer and how do you get it have really changed. So, you know, obviously in, in the very old times, there's the idea it's, it's visited on you by an angry god or it's something that you've done wrong. It's, it's your sins. And modern day, mm. we can sort of say, you're, you know, your lack of wellness and your toxic environment mm. that has visited this upon you. And then... Certainly in the early part, again, of the 20th century, a researcher called Shope, um, he discovered that there was a virus in rabbits that caused them to grow these like sort of horny growths. And he, he was like, this is a, a cancer virus. And he discovered this, this virus that induced cancers. And then a few more people, Peyton Rouse, he discovered that there was a virus that caused tumours in chickens. And so through the 50s and 60s, everyone was obsessed with the idea that cancer is caused by viruses. Like, let's just find the viruses and we get rid of the viruses and then that's it. And the problem is, is that in humans, that doesn't really work. There's a, a few viruses that we know actually cause cancer in humans. There's a few more um, infectious agents that significantly increase the risk. They sort of make cells go, go rogue and things mm. like human papillomavirus. And actually one in five cancers worldwide is linked to an infectious virus or bacteria, and we could do a lot better there in controlling Ooh. it. But everyone was obsessed with this idea that it was a virus and you could catch it, and that turned out not to be the case. But I think it really, again, it really misled people. But actually, so here's it. Do you want to know the stories about the cancers that you can catch? These yes, are kind please. of some wild <laughs> ones. So these aren't human cancers. <laughs> 
So as far as we know, there are no contagious human cancers. You can't catch cancer from someone. Although in the book, there are a few sort of experimental situations that I do talk about where that's happened. And it's, it's <laughs> wild. But yeah, there are some contagious cancers. So the best known example is Tasmanian devils. They live in, in Tasmania in southern Australia. They're very cute, actually. But they, my God, they hate each other. So when they, they meet, two devils meet, and they will just bite each other's faces. In the 80s, researchers discovered that these devils were developing terrible facial tumours, so big, like, tumours in their jaws that were killing them. And it was looking like it was starting to wipe out the species. And they discovered... You know, mostly every cancer that starts in a in a body, it's a one-off event. It starts from the body and mm-hmm. it, it ends in the body. You know, either way, it ends in the same yeah. body. But they discovered that all the cancers in all the devils were the same. So it was oh. the cancer cells being transmitted when these devils were fighting and biting. It was the first example of a transmissible cancer. Does that not mean it's not cancer, though, if it's transmittable? That's that, that, I mean, I'm not an oncologist, clearly, but d- does that not stop it from being a cancer, then, if it's transmittable? Well, no, so it's almost, it's like the ultimate leap of cancer. So writing the book, I've really understood cancer as this, like, ongoing evolutionary process. And every innovation of life we see in cancer and it's almost like the ultimate metastasis the ultimate migration you know (laughs) if if the body that you're in is dying you go to another one so you spread outside the body and these are definitely cancers and we we found another one in dogs there's a a dog genital tumor that is transmissible and there are clam cancers clams various shellfish shed cancer cells into the sea and other cancer other clams pick them up I think the more we look for these, the more we find. But yeah, of course, I will say there's at the moment, I don't think there is any chance that humans <laughs> will be able to like swap cancer cells between them because our immune systems are very effective at picking up what's us and what's not us. So if you get cancer cells yeah. from someone else very quickly, they will be destroyed. Her body would go, what? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Exactly. Um, without taking this down a horrible, depressing rabbit hole, what's the research around COVID and cancer? And, and is there much being done or are we not there yet? So at the moment, most of the research that's being done is just looking at the, the kind of the impact on diagnosis and the impact mm. on treatment. And, uh, you know, people who have delayed diagnosis. And in the UK, like I said, I think that the impact is going to be quite significant. There could be thousands of people who lose their lives over the coming years as a result of a late diagnosis or delays in their treatments. And, you know, I think that's, that is the sort of the hidden side of it. Really, everyone yeah. is so focused on COVID and forgetting that there are many other people who their disease does not stop. So I think that's, that's very difficult. There's a second question about what is the interaction between the virus and cancer. And I think that that yeah. hasn't really been looked into very much because yeah we're looking at the impact of the virus on our bodies and long-term neurological problems and things like that so that obviously makes makes one wonder that uh, what what the impact that will have on cancer cancers that we get or how will it mutate into oh god exactly but there's there's actually there's i mean there could be a positive side i was talking to one researcher because we know that in some cases the immune system can be very powerful in fighting against tumors and that's the point mm. of these new immunotherapy drugs. They sort of wake up the immune system. But unfortunately, they don't work in everyone. And there's a lot we don't really understand about why or why not. But potentially, because COVID is a disease that really does seem to like distress the immune system or really wake it up and make it go for it, 
could that actually potentially be beneficial? You know, could killing oh, cancer wow. cells be a side effect? Now, we do not know this at all. Wow. And certainly <laughs> it's, it's uh, going to be a tricky question. We'll only really start to see that in the data as it comes through over the months and the years ahead. But I think that is, mm. that is an interesting question. I mean, it's, it's mm. also, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, particularly writing about a disease like cancer, which is just an absolute terrible bastard of a disease and, and COVID as well, yeah. which is difficult. But the science behind it is really interesting. <laughs> it is really interesting. Rod, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you. Tell us where we can find you. Give us another plug for the book, uh, where we can buy it. And it's out, when is it out? Today? So Tomorrow? today where is, is pub day. Yeah, today <laughs> yeah. is uh, the 6th of August. It comes out today. There's all the links to buy it from rebelcellbook.com. I'm selling little signed book plates as well because I'm just really gutted that I can't be going out and doing talks. As as you can guess, I just love talking about this. So (laughs) I'm very sad I can't be out and about. But yeah, rebelcellbook.com. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at cat underscore Arnie, K-A-T-A-R-N-E-Y. And I'd just really love people to engage with the ideas, see what they think, talk to me about it. Yeah, it's I think this new way of looking at a disease that is very scary and very old and hopefully, you know, we can have more of a healthy respect and some ideas about how to go forward. Thank you so much for your time. It was really great to talk to you. Thank you. Standard issue for all women.